Jesus, we want to begin by praising you, just by telling you that you are the awesome, the one true wise king, that your name is power, your name is glory and majesty, and we want to exalt you today. Lord, we ask that you would cover this place today with your grace, that you would cover us with your love, that you would allow us to receive your truth and to recognize that there is no place we can go to escape your love that pursues us. And so we ask that you would, in fact, guide our hearts and our discussion today. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, again, if you... If I can just welcome you, my name is Pastor Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Overlay Christian Church. It's an honor to be on this journey with you. If you want to grab your notes out of your bulletin, you'll see that we are in the middle of a series called Hot Topics. Right smack dab in the middle, the topics tend to be getting hotter and hotter. Uh, I want to tell you, this is a perfect example of how six months ago, all of these topics on a whiteboard seemed like a great idea. And then as we got closer to the actual, I realized, you know what, I have to actually speak on these things. And it wasn't so exciting. But I, uh, I do want you to know they continue to get hotter. Today we're tackling the issue of abortion in Jesus. Next week, Oprah, again, even hotter. And uh, the, the hits just keep on coming. I want you to know that I specifically wanted this issue of abortion to be after the election. Because even though this issue spills over into the realm of politics like so many other issues do, I, did, I don't see it so much as a politics issue as a love issue. And I would hate for us to think that the only way we can engage in this issue is how we vote. In fact, the church in general has kind of, we've botched this discussion, we've botched the response, uh, we, we have not been good at communicating well the love of Jesus for those uh, who are walking through this road or even wondering if they should walk through this road or maybe even for those who have walked this road, the church has been notoriously silent. And in fact, the ways in which we've botched it are like, you know, hateful messages, horrific sound bites, uh, ugly signs at vitrolic protests. We botch it as the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, anytime we don't begin with extending the love and the grace and the compassion that's available in Jesus Christ. And so today we really do pray that those are the elements, those are the aspects of Christ's heart that just cover this place and this discussion like a blanket. I do want to begin by giving you some statistics, and we'll just we'll begin with sort of the cold hard facts. We'll move into a time where you're going to hear three stories this morning, and I really do think that this is one of those messages that's going to change uh, people's hearts. It's going to stay with you for a long time. So a couple of statistics on the front end. 22% of all U.S. pregnancies end in abortion. Uh, different, st different sites will give you different statistics about how many that is performed in America every year, but it is safe to say that it is at the million-ish a year level. What that equates to is that in America, 19.4 abortions per 1,000 women. So total population, 19.4 have abortions. Uh, compared with uh, kind of globally perspective, uh, it's much higher in uh, places like Mexico, 33 abortions per 1,000 women, or in sub-Saharan Africa, 34 abortions per 1,000. Those are among the highest rates. What's interesting is Mexico, sub-Saharan Africa are places where abortions are illegal, 
Places like Western Europe, we see they have the lowest rate in the world uh, with roughly nine. Some statistics say 12 per thousand. And the reason why I bring up this on the very front end is because it really is a complex, sensitive issue. And what these statistics show us is that whether abortion is legal or illegal may or may not affect the rate in which women choose to or allow themselves to have abortions. And if you're here today and this is a road that you've walked, if you are a a female and this is something that you have participated in, if you're a male and this was something that you have contributed to, I just want to tell you this morning, Jesus does love you. And I want you to understand that he has a plan for you, that he wants to meet you here today. And I know that this topic might be hard for you to hear, but you just have to begin with understanding that you are loved and that this is a safe place to learn about God's view of life, to learn about how God values life and how Jesus Christ sacrificed his life so that we might have life. I want to begin at the very beginning. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to open them to Genesis chapter 1. If you want to just follow along in your notes, that's great as well. Genesis 126 is where we begin the theology of God valuing human life in a unique way. We read in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I actually chose this translation because I love the word creeping and creeps. (laughs) So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So a couple of different things in that passage. We'll start from the, from the end and, and work upward. He says, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over the earth. These commandments are some of the only commandments that human beings, by and large, have fulfilled. That we have seen populations going up, that we've gone all around the world, we subdue the earth. So, you know, humankind, we, we, get, we got that one. Uh, it's interesting, then you keep going up, you see that humans are made uniquely in God's image. That somehow there is, there's a part of God's thumbprint on humanity. Just a part of his original majesty and his glory. And the reason is because it's his likeness that we are created in. Male and female, both created in the likeness of God. Therefore, there is this intrinsic value in human life. It's not extended to all of creation. Now, all of creation is to be stewarded, cared for. It's to be maintained and even encouraged. And, you know, like a, like a gardener would care for a garden. We recognize this is God's creation. We want to care for it and steward creation well. But there is a uniqueness about human life that is not extended toward all of plant life or all of animal life. And I say this in Seattle, knowing that in Seattle we get this wrong sometimes. Like, it is better to be a dog in Seattle than a human. You will be cared for more. You will have more rights. You will be able to go to the bathroom wherever you want. Like there's all sorts of, uh, you know, ways in which we've botched this one. People get so fired up about ending the puppy mills 
Because we care for animal rights, but we tend to neglect caring for and valuing humans. And the scripture says we, we need to get this right. We need to... We need to figure this idea of valuing human life out the way that God values it. And so we are to, we're to recognize the image of God in all of humanity. Therefore, all of human life has value. And I want to say that this is a value that we don't simply extend to someone after birth. And the reason why we don't do that is because God doesn't do that. God doesn't just begin to be involved with you after you are born, after you pass through your mother's birth canal or, or you arrive by C-section, God begins the work earlier. The value is invested in you earlier. And we read this from multiple scripture. In the book of Psalms, chapter 139, we read, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. Speaking to the Lord. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. So even in the darkness of the womb, we see God's majestic hand at work, God's knowledge God's careful and intricate design being worked. This is a picture of 51 days, just over seven weeks. And already we see how complex and how intricate and how beautiful this child is. And this is God at work. I, I love that in the womb, God has a plan for you. That in the womb, every day is laid out before you. That in the womb, God cares for you. He knows you. He's knitting you together. That he has thoughts about you. And the Bible says they're precious. You are a masterpiece being wrought together by the hand of a gentle and a loving and gracious master. You're precious to God. We see this in other verses as well. Jeremiah 1.5. God says to the prophet, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. In other words, even before conception happened, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. God knows us, and he knows us early on. And then I want you to understand that God himself values human life because of the thumbprint of God, because he recognizes his unique role. He is God. He gives life. God can take life away, but he doesn't extend that right or that opportunity to everyone. It's reserved for him alone. And so in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, we read, you must not murder. You must not take human life. And all of these verses talk about God's heart for life, the significance of human life, and the fact that God is involved from the process from the very beginning. There are other passages of Scripture that I would simply offer you for study. Psalm 106 being one of them. Ezekiel 23 being another. And these passages of Scripture talk about God and His anger when His people get it wrong in this regard. And so both of these are referring to a time when His own people, called by His own name, had entered into a really dark period, and what they were doing was sacrificing their babies to pagan gods. 
They were throwing their, their young sons and daughters in the fire as a way to appease these idols. God of fertility, say, or, you know, just the, the bits of stone and wood. And God is not pleased with it. In Psalm 106, 38, he says, They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters. By sacrificing them to the idols of Canaan, they polluted the land with murder. And this is hard to read, I know, and in light of our context, it might be difficult to hear. But what is happening in this culture is that God's coming against is he's saying, you... My people are taking your children and sacrificing them to idols, a a carving of wood or a carving of stone or a false god. And in our context today, we don't view idols in the same way, do we? We have our own idols. And so the idols that someone might be sacrificing a pregnancy to would be an idol of fear or an idol of inconvenience, maybe an idol of thoughtlessness, or an idol of pleasure. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ and who maybe have not been in this position ourselves, I would still challenge you by saying, I think there are idols in your life that you've been sacrificing to and and that children are being sacrificed to you because of your silence. And maybe the idols that are in your life are the idol of we don't care enough to care for these frightened mothers. We don't care enough to be a voice for these voiceless kids. Or how about the idol of thinking that the only way we can involve ourselves in this discussion is by the way we vote. A lot of idols around, and we're all guilty in some way or another. Here's God's perspective on children. He says in Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. That's God's plan. Children are supposed to be a reward. They're supposed to be a blessing. They're a gift from God. But because of the fact that we live in a fallen world and we see that there are so many places where depravity is running rampant, because of circumstances that are burdensome and even overburdensome in young women's lives, we see children are announced not as a reward or a blessing, but as a burden, as a bondage. Meanwhile, Jesus says in Matthew nineteen fourteen, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, let the children come to me. This same sentiment was echoed by one of my heroes in the faith, a woman named Mother Teresa, who served the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. Some of you might be familiar with this. She was invited to the national prayer breakfast while Bill Clinton was still the president of our nation, and she gave a great address. And then she turned to the president, and she just said simply, give me the child. Give me the child. Let let me have the child. If you saw that, episode, that encounter, it was, it was pretty phenomenal. She just said, give me the child. She's echoing Christ's words. I'll, I'll take the child. I love the child. I want the child. And in fact, we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, that God delights in adopting into his family those who are unwanted. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. 
This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And friends, every single weekend we celebrate the cross. We're going to celebrate it again in a few moments as we come to the table. And we celebrate the, the body that was broken, Jesus whose body was broken on the cross, the blood that was shed. And we're going to celebrate his blood that brings us cleansing and wholeness and healing. But just understand that Jesus died on the cross so that we might live. He, he died on the cross to provide life, abundant life and eternal life. He died on the cross so that God could adopt us into his own family. And so just like Mother Teresa, God is saying, give me the child. See, God has a plan for every person. His plan for every person doesn't start after birth. His plan starts earlier than that. God knows what's going on. And so God says, and, and you need to get this, God says there are no accidental babies. There are only accidental parents. There are no accidental babies. There are no unplanned children. There are only unplanned parenthoods. God wants to adopt us all into his family through Jesus Christ. On the issue of, of abortion, a couple more things that I would mention. The first is when you take a look at the Hippocratic Oath that all doctors swear as they enter into the medical profession, what is interesting to me, two lines from the modern Hippocratic Oath are these. Never do deliberate harm to anyone for anyone else's interest. Keep the good of the patient as the highest priority. Both of these lines, when taken on behalf of the pregnancy, would prevent abortion from happening. And that's why some doctors today, they abstain from performing abortions based on a conscience clause that's available in some states. What is interesting to me, if you take a look at the original Hippocratic Oath, this is what it stated. I will not give a lethal drug to anyone if I'm asked, nor will I advise such a plan. And similarly, I will not give a woman a pessary to cause an abortion. That's how they produced abortion in the ancient times. So that's a part of the original Hippocratic Oath. Uh, another very interesting thing that I found as I was doing research, an organization called the Seamless Garment. And it was actually a group of bishops got together in 1987, and they began to see what would a consistent pro-life uh, agenda look like across the board. And when I say consistent, I mean what are all of the issues that valuing life come to bear upon? And as they began to get together and to research and to pray, they came up with a list, and it includes and is not limited to the discussion about the proliferation of nuclear arms, abortion, birth control forms that are routine early abortions, suicide, euthanasia, assisted suicide, war, the death penalty, gun control, and poverty. All of these issues are part of God's value of life, and all of these are a part of God's concern for those who don't know him. It's interesting that poverty is so complex because of all of the different areas that it touches in a disproportionate way. And if I could give you what is the recipe for the primary recipients of abortion in America, it's very simple. It's poverty plus fear plus youth. Those are the three key ingredients. And again, some statistics. 50% of U.S. women who obtain abortions are younger than 25. 
37% of abortions occur to black women, 22 to Hispanic women, 8% to women of other ethnic groups, 34% to non-Hispanic white women. Interesting to note, 70% have a Christian faith. 43% uh, identify themselves as Protestant, 27 as Catholic. The abortion rate among women living below the federal poverty level, now check this, that's $9,500 a year. So for women that are underneath the poverty level, and I would consider that to be crushing poverty, it's more than four times that of a woman in middle class. And it's partly because the rate of unintended pregnancies among poor women below the poverty line is four times more than women who are in the middle class. So instead of us thinking broad or statistic or vague, what I want us to do is I want us to think specific and I want us to picture someone in our minds because until this becomes personal and real, we will fail to be empathetic and to be moved on behalf of this issue. So picture a woman in your mind. She'd have to be young, 19 years old, maybe 20 years old. Uh, Statistically speaking, she would probably be a part of an ethnic group. Her education severely limited. She's not hopeful for better education. She's living below the poverty line, as is all her family, her boyfriend, if she has one, etc. And she's totally unhopeful for economic stability. She's not hopeful for health care, either prenatal or postpartum. And she's not hopeful for child care. She knows that she would be the primary caregiver unless she were to give this baby up for adoption. She's not from a stable home environment herself. We talked about cohabitation rates among the urban poor earlier in this series, and the recognition is that that is an issue that comes to bear on this. She hasn't known stability. She's not seen it. She doesn't have anyone stable from the outside loving her, caring for her, nurturing her, even assuring her that it's going to be okay. Nobody comes alongside. And friends, this is where I would say the breakdown of the church is. If 70% of the women identify themselves as members of the faith community, where's the church coming alongside of them? The church is absent. There are all sorts of exceptions to this rule, but I want you to understand, if followers of Jesus Christ from all of the political parties would simply drop their agendas to work together on behalf of this woman... If we would come alongside of this woman, we would see abortions in this nation plummet. My prayer is the church comes to the aid of this woman. And if you're a guy and you're a part of this, then I recognize that guys have a responsibility too. This is an incredible injustice to speak of it only as a female issue, although women are the ones who have to bear the brunt of the aftermath. But when guys start recognizing that God has a plan for them, that they have value as well, so does their partner. And when they begin to step up in responsibility, when they begin to take personal ownership, again, this becomes a totally different issue. Instead of me just talking about this all morning, what I wanna do is give you a couple of clear pictures of what I think uh, might be really helpful for us to get our minds around this issue. So would you please welcome all my friends this morning, but right now, Chris and Carly, would you come up and share with us? Good morning. Thank you. 
I'm, I'm Chris, this is my wife Carly, and uh, Mike asked us a couple of months ago to um, share our testimony and our experiences, and uh, while I don't particularly like speaking to groups of people, um, it was very uh, clear through prayer that uh, God has had a plan for us to be here this morning, so here we are. Uh, Carly and I both were brought up in very loving Christian homes. Both families were very involved here at Overlake. Uh, we began going out or, or dating in junior high, and in junior high, I don't know how much dating you can do, but we were definitely going out. Uh, we met here in the youth group, and within a few years, when we were 17, uh, Carly got pregnant. We were in such deep denial that we refused to face the pregnancy for a couple of months, desperately trying to cover our sin and not wanting to disappoint our families and save them from the embarrassment. We found ourselves thinking abortion was the only option. Even though we were brought up in str with strong Christian morals and knowing abortion was never an option, we were still desperate for the pregnancy to go away. The fear of our secret getting out had a death grip on us. During this time, Chris and his family moved across the country. Not only was I devastated that my boyfriend of three years that I loved was moving so far away, but the isolation of no one else knowing was unbearable. I began pulling away from my friends, family, and church, completely terrified that the secret of the pregnancy would get out. Alone and scared, when I was four months pregnant, Chris and I made the mind-numbing decision to have an abortion. On the day of my scheduled abortion, I unexpectedly had to stay home and watch my little brother, causing me to miss my appointment. Fear kept us from telling our families until I was five months pregnant five of the most scary and lonely months. But as soon as we told our parents, it, it felt literally like the weight of the world had been taken off our shoulders. The love, grace, and support that they showed us, as well as our youth pastor, our friends, and everyone that was around us during this time was overwhelming. In the following weeks, we turned to Special Delivery, one of Overlake's ministries, which ministers to unwed mothers. At that point, we were focused on giving the baby up for adoption. Special Delivery became a major support group for my family and I. With their help, we began walking through the adoption process. God still had other plans. In my seventh month, I flew down to visit Chris, armed with several family profiles to start the selection process. While trying to pick the perfect family for this little girl, we kept coming back to the fact that we loved each other and had planned to have a family of our own someday in the future. Imagining her not a part of our family was gut-wrenching. With the support of our families, this led us to the decision to keep her and start our young family. Throughout this entire process, God clearly had his hand in every step. Haley Ann Avery was born February 10, 1999. Still, nothing was easy. In fact, it was extremely difficult. I was still in high school when she was born. I would take her over to a friend's house every morning, go to school, come back during lunch to nurse her, race back to school, then again afterwards. This alone was wearing, not to mention trying to graduate. Chris was as supportive and as present as he could be, being so far away, all the while eating him up that he, we couldn't be together during this time. I remember crying to him on the phone that the stress of life had become so much that I wasn't able to nurse Haley anymore. 
Of course, he reminded me that I was doing my best and she would be okay. And now looking back, here's this little girl that just a couple of months ago, I wanted nothing to do with it. I was scared of it. I wanted it to go away. And now I had such a deep and real love for this little girl. I would do anything for her. In June, I graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. Two weeks later, we got married, and three days after that, we moved down to Georgia. I think it's important to recognize that we would not have been able to do any of this or make it this far without God's forgiveness and the forgiveness that our, our uh, forgiveness and support that our families gave us as well. Those first couple of years were filled with stress, uh, fear, and struggle. And as a young family, we have definitely had difficult times. Still today, it scares us to think about our initial decision to have an abortion. The what ifs and what if Haley was not, not a part of our life and our family. The fact that God intervened in our lives when we were thick in sin and shame and gifted us with such an amazing little girl is a complete honor and blessing. We've been married now for nine years and God has blessed us with two more awesome kids, Tanner and Carter. And now through all of this, we've been met by God's grace, love, and promise to endure and his plan for our family continues. Thank you. I love that God met them in the middle of that circumstance, and I want you to know that God does meet us no matter where we are, no matter what road that we're walking. I'm very thankful for Chris and Carly, and I'm really, really thankful that there were people like your family around, and there was a church around that was ready to come alongside and to walk down that hard road. And again, I think that is the power of the people of God working together. I would love to introduce another friend of mine to you as she comes and shares her story with walking down this road. Would you please welcome Joni Laura? Joni. My story is different, as you might expect. I went through high school as a good girl. Um, came from a Christian background, a Christian family. I was class president for three years, major leader. Um, and I made it through my first year of college just fine. And then it then entered four dark years. I was still living at home while attending this major university. And at age 21, I realized I was pregnant because of my choices. I begged God that if he was real, make this pregnancy go away. I was a good girl. How could this be? Well, God was real, but he proves himself later. I knew that this pregnancy would crush my parents as well as the lifestyle, and in my heart, I knew that this would crush God as well. In my own way, I tried to think of a way to kill myself so that I'd never have to tell them. And then I remember thinking, what if it hurt? You can laugh. (laughs) I was 21, okay. When I did tell my parents... My dad, trying to protect me, said it was only tissue, wasn't a baby yet, and abortion was the only option. He told me that no man would want to marry me if I ever told him about my past and if I had the, or if I had the baby. My future would be over, and he wouldn't support any part of it. 
Strangely, however, the only person who told me I didn't have to do this was the doctor who was to perform the procedure. We proceeded through with the abortion on that day, and Dad had said, this is behind us now. We never have to speak of it again. But that was easier said than done. In his love for me, I know Dad wanted to make my life all better and to put things back the way they were. He, in his heart, he wanted to fix it for me. Three years later, my life choices hadn't really changed that much, only now I'd moved four hours away from home. And only I'd faced two more procedures alone because I thought I might be pregnant. I was sinking deep inside my soul, becoming more and more ashamed, alone and isolated, even though on the outside I, I looked just like I do today. But nearing the end of those four dark years, sitting on my apartment floor, I remembered crying out to God, enough is enough. This can't be all there is to account for my life. I want purpose. I want to feel loved by you, God, and I want to feel clean again. Please, God, I surrender. I give you all my dreams. I give you my future. I give up. Just give me some hope. God never stopped chasing me through all those dark years, but now I was ready to be caught by him. That night was the turning point, and it was as if God showed up, entered my apartment, and sat on the floor with me, put his arm around me, said, Fine, daughter, I'll take it from here. I began making good choices, and a fellow student worker began inviting me to church with her. She was so excited about Jesus, and she accepted me right where I was in life. I quickly learned about God's amazing grace, his unconditional love, and that he loved me no matter what past I brought to him. It seemed I was asking forgiveness every Sunday. I truly came to know and believe that the blood of Jesus shed at the cross covered my sin of abortion. I knew God forgave me the moment I asked, but I spent many more years trying to forgive myself. I just couldn't pretend it didn't happen anymore. I had to face it head on. The next year I met the man I was going to marry, an amazing godly man who was an example of Jesus to me with his grace and forgiveness. Before I let him propose a marriage, however, I knew I needed to tell him my whole past. I told him that he needed to decide if he still wanted to marry me, and yet he never wavered in his love for me. We planned our wedding for the next year. Our relationship was Christ-centered from the very beginning. God did an amazing redemptive work of restoration and renewal in my heart and my physical body two weeks before the wedding. We celebrated 20 years of marriage this year. Abortion may seem like an immediate solution, but it has taken me a lifetime to process. The timeline of events that have made up my life to this point have been a continual journey of accepting God's forgiveness as beautiful and the precious gift that it is. Jesus stepped in, and he brought me hope for my future. He addressed all my fears one by one. His love touched my deepest need, and I knew I would never have to feel alone again. He would never leave me nor forsake me. I owed him the same courtesy of faithfulness because he offers forgiveness. If you've walked this road at some point in your life, I pray that you allow God into those memories and allow him to carry them for you. Only he can make something really great out of them, and he can heal the pain. He is a gentleman, so he won't force you to deal with it, but he is able whenever you're ready because he offers hope. He offers restoration in his son, Jesus. I have an amazing husband who reflects Christ to me daily. We have a great son turning 17 next week. We have two great daughters, 15 and 5. <laughs> the 5-year-old's another story. 
I love this service. You guys are good. <laughs> okay, on the eve of each of their births, 10 years, 11 years, and 21 years after the first abortion, my heart grieved the fact that those others were denied life. I asked those little ones to forgive me and that I love them and that I will look forward to holding them in heaven. The Crisis Pregnancy Center in my town at the time offered an instructor training course to address post-abortion syndrome. This is 13 years still after the abortion. I took that course, and upon completion, we held a memorial service for our unborn babies. Candles were placed on a table at the front to symbolize our unborn children. While I had opened, openly talked about the first procedure, it was so hard to admit the other two procedures. I went up, I quietly lit one candle, and sat back down. The other ladies got up and lit all of theirs, and when every lady was finished, there still remained two unnamed, unclaimed candles. I knew they reflected my testimony. The pastor just waited as I prayed silently for courage to get out of my seat, to walk down that aisle one more time, and acknowledge those two lives in the presence of God and my fellow friends. It was so moving to go up there and light the remaining two candles that symbolized my babies. God used that intimate setting to finally remove the sting, the pain, and the shame from the depths of my soul like nothing else could. Those babies were honored. Their mother remembered them. God has continued to renew my mind, my spirit, and continues to redeem my past. My prayer is that all of you, every one of you, would know the forgiveness that is available in Jesus, the restoration he brings, and the hope he offers. Thanks. I just want to thank you guys for your bravery. Thank you for allowing us to be educated and informed and even inspired by your stories, how God has met you in the middle of that process. I, I love that in Joni's story, story, she needed the courage that God provided. And really, that's, that's what I want us to all focus on today. If, if you're walking this road and you feel alone and isolated, please understand that God loves you and he wants to meet you. Wherever you are, he wants to meet you. And church, I just would say that I think that this is a time for courage, that God wants to meet us and he wants to help us be involved and help us step into the discussion in a way that's meaningful and helpful. And so I do just have a couple of things that I'd like to challenge all of us to go after. As followers of Jesus Christ, I want us to be engaged in this issue, in this discussion. And the first challenge I have for you is the challenge of love, that we would infuse more love into the discussion, that we would infuse more grace into the discussion, more compassion, that we would understand the fear as Chris and Carly shared, they, they had already some moral framework for abortion. They felt in their hearts it was wrong, and yet in their context, it seemed like the only option because of the fear. And so my prayer is that we as followers of Jesus would understand the helplessness that grips these young women, these young couples, that we would love the person who sees abortion as the only option for their lives. I am so proud of our special delivery ministry, and in just a few moments, I'm gonna introduce Michelle to you, who is the director of that ministry. 
I am so proud of the Christian couples that I know who are bravely walking the road of adoption as a response to the abortion option. So my prayer is that together we would infuse more love in this issue. The second thing that I would encourage us to do is to work, and again, this is where I would challenge us to play a role. Since we live in a democracy, our government should work for us. My desire is that we would be encouraging our government to do this. And so I would just say, no matter where you land on the political spectrum, my encouragement is that we, as, as the body of believers, would encourage them over the next four years to reduce the number of abortions in America by half. We can do it. We can do it. If, if it is true that the party in power says their desire is for abortions to be safe, legal, and rare, then I think we can make a difference by working together. We can go after that. So that would be my challenge. In four years, let's half the abortion rate. And I would just encourage you, no matter where you are, to be involved in this process. Here's a fact. Uh, George Bush was president, two-term pro-life president, but he did very little to see the abortion rate drop in America. Uh, It is true that the abortion rate dropped under Bush, but it's dropped every year from 1981 onward. 1981 was a high where 29.3 abortions happened per 1,000 women. Now we're at a place where it's 19.4 per 1,000. We are approaching the all-time low uh, from when they began tracking it in 1973 when abortion was first legal. My desire is that all of us would work together to keep the trend going in that direction. The third thing that I would encourage us to do is to talk to our, uh, to talk to our representatives so that we would begin as a government to provide and create the systems where this 18-year-old girl, who I ask you to picture in your mind, this 19-year-old girl, where she would actually be nurtured, cared for, educated, and given hope. And the reason why I say this, this doesn't come from a political motive at all. It's actually a biblical mandate that we see from God to us. That we would be the ones who care for those that are the most vulnerable and the most hurting in our society. And so it would behoove us together as a community to say, hey, we want to see systems created. And whatever that looks like, whether it's child care options or health care options or Teach for America options so that the inner cities of America and the urban centers of America have exactly the same kind of hope and opportunity that the rest of us enjoy. But the Bible says this in Isaiah 58, and I just want us to, we'll, we'll move on after this. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. That's the mandate. That we would engage with the poor, those in trouble we would serve. Then your light would shine out of the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. And the last encouragement I would give to those who are in the body of Christ is to serve. A lot of different opportunities, a lot of ways that we can serve come around this issue. If you know somebody who's walking this road, you can serve them. You can personally come alongside them. If, if you're just looking and you're kind of saying, hey, I'd love to be involved, but I don't know how, special delivery would be a great first step. Contact them, say, I'd love to serve. I'd love to come alongside your ministry. I'd love to talk to you about how we might get the word out about this ministry, this caring home, and this opportunity. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture, and friends, I want to guarantee that if we can get our mind around this verse, everything about the way we view this issue is going to change. 
Here it is. It's Galatians 2.20. Paul writes, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What he's saying is that he understands, Paul understands that he is crucified with Christ. In fact, that's one of the things that we do when we do baptism is we celebrate the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ by literally dying to our old self. And so we're lowered down into the water representing that death. And then we're raised to walk by the power of Christ in us. And if we begin to get our minds around what that really means, then we are following Jesus. We'll recognize there are a lot of things that we are limited in. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, then you know what? There there are some things we can't do. Why? Because it's not me that's living. It's Christ in me. That's why the Apostle Paul continues to write. He says, uh, should you unite Christ with a prostitute? No, by no means, right? It's not you who would be visiting a prostitute. It's Christ in you. Would you ever bring Christ into a scenario where you're doing something in complete rebellion to God, his Father? No, it's impossible. Now, that has ramifications and implications all along the route. There's all sorts of things that we shouldn't feel free to do. Should we unite Christ with pornography? No. Should we unite Christ with drunkenness? No. There's all all sorts of things that we feel free to do as human beings, but if we got our mind around this idea of, I'm bringing Jesus into this, and I think abortion is one of those issues. Should Should I unite Christ with abortion? No, it's not an option. But friends, I want to say to the church and to those who are now called to be Jesus in this world, we can't sit back and ignore the issue. Christ calls us and compels us to serve this 18-year-old, 19-year-old girl. He calls us to be involved in the issue. He calls us to pray. He calls us to move. He calls us to give and to serve. So my challenge is that we would recognize we are not alone in this thing. We're not mere mortals That if we've said yes to Jesus Christ, then it's Christ in us. Christ is compelling us to be a voice for the voiceless, to serve the most poor and needy in our midst. And I would contend it's this woman. Christ-centered options like special delivery are a great way to serve. I love, again, and I mentioned the families that are adopting as a form of response to the issue of abortion in America. And I do think that we should work together to see if adoption could become more easily negotiated, less expensive, so that parents who want to be parents can adopt more easily. And I know it's a hard discussion. I know it's, it's so hard for us to get our minds around how we approach this issue. But I'm convinced that when everyday, ordinary followers of Jesus Christ walk together towards lowering the abortion rate in our nation, we could radically alter the number of abortions that happen every single year. And I believe that when the followers of Jesus come around young moms with love, prayer, support, and guidance, the miraculous can happen. I want to say that very literally, that literal miracles can take place. Even in births where there's potential health impact against the mother, miracles can take place. Even in births where uh, the doctors predict that the child will have physical problems, miracles can take place. Even in pregnancies that occur when the mom has been raped. And I don't want you to hear me talk about a scenario like that. So I would like for you to welcome my friend Carissa Hardy as she shares her story.
Hello, my name is Carissa Hardy. I was raised in a conservative Christian home, loving and serving Christ. And last year, I was a senior at Northwest University in Kirkland, pursuing my bachelor's degree in psychology. I was planning to go straight into my master's degree to become a counselor for abused women and children. I'd ask God to use me however he wanted to. If he wanted me to go to Africa, do missions work, or whatever he wanted me to do, I told him to just say the word and I'd go. Well, my world was completely shaken when I was raped. This was a very traumatic thing for me, and I felt robbed of the innocence I had cherished for so long. I had never even had a boyfriend, so, this, so I was sure that my life was now ruined, and no Christian man would ever want me now. My life got even scarier when I found out that I was pregnant. I felt so scared and had no idea what would happen with my life now. It seemed as if all my dreams and plans had flown out the window. I was very sick during my pregnancy, so I had a lot of time to talk with God about everything. I would lay in my bed sick and ask God why he would let this happen to me. I had given him my everything, and this is what I got in return. I was scared, mad, and confused. But somehow, in the midst of all this, I felt God's loving, warm arms around me. He told me that I was not alone at all, and I never was. He had always been right beside me and would always be. He would remind me of the verses I had learned in the past, but suddenly they meant so much more to me than they ever had. Psalms 23 that says that he is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He restores my soul. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I knew that even though this was not at all what I could have ever imagined for my life, God was in control and was always going to be with me. I felt an amazing peace after this, a peace that passed all understanding, and I knew that God was in control. After this, people would come up to me and ask me how I was doing and I would just have to smile and say that I was, I was excited because God was in control and I couldn't wait to see what he had planned because I knew there had to be something. Um, I started going to the doctor for my pregnancy and when they heard about my situation, they told me multiple times that they could just take care of this for me and my life could go back to how it had been. While I wanted my life to be normal more than anything, I knew that God had given me this baby for a purpose and I knew he was going to help me get through it. I told the doctors that I definitely wanted to continue my pregnancy. For the first time, though, I realized how easy it would be for people to want to have an abortion. I was so thankful to have God's love to comfort me and guide me, showing me that he had a plan not only for me, but for my special baby as well. Later in my pregnancy, I learned that I had dangerously high blood pressure or preeclampsia, I was only 23 weeks pregnant, and so I was put in the hospital on bed rest. I was there for one month while the doctors monitored me closely, watching for signs of my organs to fail. While they were doing this, they discovered that my baby was not growing properly. The umbilical cord was closing off, and the baby was getting less and less nutrients that she needed to grow. The doctors told me that the baby was going to have to be born very soon, 
and that she had less than 1% chance of being normal after being born so prematurely. They said that because of the insufficient amount of nutrients that she was getting, she was going to be very small and mentally disabled. They told me that they, shot, they thought I should just let them deliver the baby right then because of the health concerns to me and that she would probably just die. They said they were sure she would not live past birth and if she did, she would be blind, deaf, or have cerebral palsy. This was so hard to hear as a mom. I would cry out to God and ask him to please, please heal my baby. I felt like he said, Carissa, do you believe that I can heal your baby? And I said, God, of course I know you can heal her. I just don't know if you will. And I felt like he told me, Carissa, if you just have faith and believe, I will. That was great to hear. And that's what I stood on the whole time that I was there. The doctors told me that if I wanted to give my baby the best chance of living, I would have to do a special kind of C-section that would be dangerous to my body, so they didn't recommend it. I told them that I had complete faith that God was in control, and I trusted him that he was going to give me the whole baby, and every, I wanted to do everything I could do to help her. We started a pray, prayer chain email list that had hundreds of people praying for us continually. After one month of bed rest and hearing those discouraging reports every day, Ellie was born at one pound, four and a half ounces, and 12 inches long. She was so small, my dad could put his wedding ring all the way up her leg. She was beautiful. She was in the neonatal intensive care unit for three months and was started on intense breathing support. It was a hard three months to watch her frail little body with all of her IVs and tubes for so long. But she continued to grow and develop and was obviously a miracle baby. Well, she has now been at home with my amazing family and me for three and a half months and has no long-term problems. She is a joy and testimony that God is so faithful and miraculous. I think that even in the case of rape, abortion is not the answer. God is in control. He knows everything and is always here to, ask, to help us when we ask for it. It may not always be the right thing for the mom to keep the baby, but I think adoption is a good resolution for this. I knew, though, that in my case, God wanted me to keep my baby and that, he was, that she was going to be a wonderful part of my life. But I know this may not be the case for everyone, and I know it would be an extremely hard decision to make to give up your baby, but trusting God for the answer is the only thing that you can do. My faith was strengthened so much as I learn to trust him that what he had promised would come to pass if I believed him. God was so amazing to me as I continually leaned on him to get me through every day, and I know he can do it for everyone who asks. Babies are gifts of life to be treasured and loved. God gave me the hope and faith to trust him no matter what, and I am so happy that I did. Thank you. And here is my baby, Ellie.
we wanted to share these stories with you so that you will have a more complete picture of the issue. I'm sorry, my wife's up here bawling and it's just killing me. (laughs) So that you would have a more complete picture of the fear, of the emotion. I recognize abortion statistics simply don't communicate that these are real lives wrestling with real circumstances, real heartache, and real confusion. But God is available to meet us in the middle of this real and fallen world that we live in. And if this is a road that you've walked and you're here today and you really are torn up emotionally, I just want to say to you, my prayer is that you have not heard condemnation today, but compassion. That we love you and we want to be God's hands and God's feet. We want to be God's heart to you. And what I hope that you see most today is that God does have a plan. He has a plan not simply for each of you, but he has a plan for all of the lives that you touch. God loves both mother and child. And God calls his people to engage in love on this issue. Life is precious and Jesus loves you so much. And so I simply want to end with these words from Joshua 1.9 where God says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For your Lord Your God is with you wherever you go. And Jesus, we just pray, thank you. Thank you that you are with us wherever we go. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that when we are frightened and afraid and alone, that you are there to meet us and to hold us, to carry us. Lord, I am so thankful that in each of these three stories we've heard, your people came alongside Your people prayed, your people cared, your people loved. Jesus, may it be so in our world today that your people, those who call themselves followers of Jesus, would personally engage in this issue, would personally reach out and care. Would you find us faithful to being the hands and feet of Jesus because we recognize today that we have been crucified with Christ And the life that we live, it's no longer our own, but Jesus, it's for you. So find us faithful as we live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.